Have I got a mic? Yay. Thank you, Beth. I've just spilled a cup of water all over my Bible, which is not a great timing point. Could I have some more water? That would be great, Alana. Thank you. And if someone could dry the Bible as well, that would be useful. <laughs> wow. Okay. So after that, a very long Bible reading. I've only got two minutes left. So I hope you um, got a lot from it. Um, so I am Luke. If I haven't met you before, um, I'm an intern here. Oh, thank you. That is an excited cheer. Um, and yeah, there you go. The time has started. So tonight, um, it is me and Alan. I'm going to do 10 minutes, and then Alan's got 10 minutes to correct everything that I've said. Um, I don't know what he's going to say. Maybe he's going to do a dance. Who knows? I'm going to hold you to it, Alan. But, um, so and what I'm going to talk about is kind of um, a challenge to me too, really. I'm not standing up here saying I've got this sorted. It's just I felt God challenged me about it, and so I thought I'd pass on that challenge. So, um, yeah, so we'll get into the passage, which is not on the screen, but I, that's fine. Um, the early churches. So Peter has written this letter, um, just to recap what we've done so far. One Peter, he's written this letter to the early churches, um, and these particular churches, they're being harassed, they're marginalized, um, and not as extreme as they are being killed for their faith, more they are just being insulted, they're being abused for just trying to follow Jesus. And so Peter has written this encouragement um, to tell them to keep going, it's going to be okay. And so the last few weeks we have covered um, things like being holy, being set apart. Um, and earlier on in this book, uh, Peter has just reminded them of the amazing hope that they've got in Jesus, basically. And so um, if you go back to chapter one, it says, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish. We've got new life, eternal future. Hallelujah. It's amazing. Um, and he goes on and like describes us, we're a chosen people, we're God's special possession. And all of this is so uplifting, it's so inspiring. And you kind of go out of that, wow, I'm going to be a royal priesthood. It's amazing. Um, and then you get to this chapter, chapter three, and you kind of like, this is, this is the point of Peter writing this that actually, this is an amazing hope for these people, but they're going to need to hold on to it because they're going to suffer for what they believe, basically. He kind of pops this bubble, um, and they might follow Jesus. doesn't mean they're going to get love for it. Um, Tom talked about becoming a royal priesthood, um, and I don't know, I love to picture that like we all get to be the Pope in a Pope-mobile, and we drive around like a convoy of them through Sheffield. Um, but the reality is that we might go and serve the city. The Bible doesn't say we're going to be loved by the city for doing it. And so um, these early churches, they're just trying to do good. They're kind of, it said in the passage, repaying insults with blessings, pursuing peace, and they're taking flack for it. And they're on their own as well. Kind of, they've got each other. Um, but really, these early churches, they kind of, every so often, they've got Peter writing them a letter or something. Um, but he's hundreds of miles away. He's not there to help them out in this. Um, and they're facing some really difficult opposition. And it's kind of, you could imagine them questioning, like, is Jesus really worth this? This is, this is a tough gig. Um, and all they've got to keep them going is their hope in Jesus. And in a different way, I think we're often also on our own. Um, right now in a church, probably you'd be pretty confident with your faith. Um, there's kind of safety in the place, safety in numbers. If someone walked in the door and said, hey, mate, Jesus is a joke. Um, you'd probably have a reply. Um, and you'd probably have the confidence to say something back to them. Um, but as soon as we're outside of this building, kind of back on our own in the middle of the week, um, it's kind of a different story, isn't it? Um, and maybe with friends, colleagues, family, um, just out and about in the public, in public, that um, kind of the, the cup, 
the comfort disappears. Um, and we found ourselves in all sorts of situations where we're just internally conflicted because we're kind of being, there's, there's pressure to go a certain way. And we're kind of like, oh, Jesus, I shouldn't go this way. But like, I just want to fit in. I don't want to be different. Um, and so do you go along with it or not? Um, and I could, I could give examples of it. And I've got some here, but actually, I think we can all like, you can think of examples for yourself, really, of, of times where you, you felt that pressure of which way am I going to go here? Um, and it's kind of, it comes down to like, what is more important to me, like this hope in Jesus, these, these early churches, is it their hope in Jesus or is it their desire to fit in? Because they can fit in, they'll avoid all the, all the trouble they're getting, but they're letting go of that hope. And so I want to change tack a bit now um, and just ask you, when was the time, if you think back over your, your, your whole life, your, your life story, your testimony, when is the time when you felt closer to God than any other? When you were like, you were absolutely convinced God is real. He's right here. He is working in my life and I love him for it. Like I, I can feel this immense peace or he's just answered this prayer in the most incredible way. Um, or, or maybe um, it's just, I just feel, just feel loved or I just want to share this with other people. Um, when is that moment? I think, I think, most of us have got them. If you haven't got them, I'd love to invite you, like, during the worship later, ask God to give you that moment that you would experience that power in your life. Um, but all of us, I think, have got those moments. Um, and it may be recent, or it may be that actually this is a really long time ago. Um, maybe even when you first became a Christian, that, that this is the point when you were so close to God. And maybe right now, um, you're just not, not as close. Um, but, um, it, but if you look at the Bible and kind of go back to Hebrews 13, Jesus, it's absolutely definite. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God didn't change in that. And so hold on to that hope. Like there is a hope in that, that at some point previously in your life, you were so close to God. And so there's an absolute hope that you can be just as close to him again in the future. God didn't change. Your faith may be changed. Maybe your circumstances changed and the doubts increased, but God is always there and you can get back to that place. And so I would encourage you to anchor yourself on that. Like you have got a point in your past where you had this absolute hope in God. And even though maybe this was here and now you're somewhere way over here, that this point still existed. Don't devalue it just because somewhere over here at the moment you kind of can't get back to where you were. Just hold on to it. And so you, you're getting hope from the fact that you've experienced God. And then later on in that passage, um, Peter goes on a really famous verse and he says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Um, and so I'm going to go back to um, when I was at school. And um, for me, I didn't talk about faith much. Um, there was a CU and I did not go to it because I didn't need another label for being a nerd. So I kind of stayed well away um, and really didn't talk about faith. But I had a couple of friends who were unbelievably strong atheists and they were incredibly clever. They could win any argument they wanted to. And so um, occasionally this CU, um, they would do a kind of grill a Christian. And so some unlucky youth intern type person is sent from a local church and expected to answer every question that these guys have. And so these, my, my mates who were these atheists would go along um, and kind of it happened quite a few times, kind of everyone knew what to expect that um, this youth worker would sit down at the front and then uh, these atheists would sit somewhere in the middle of the room and kind of first question, up go the atheist hands and kind of everyone in the room turns towards them, like gets out the popcorn, sits back 
and just watches this youth worker get destroyed by these questions. Um, and you kind of, fair play to them, they would do their best to answer them, but to be honest, they, they were never going to win this. These, are just, these guys were just pros, um, kind of to them. They disproved God and were waiting for the world to catch up kind of thing. Um, and so um, they were my friends. Sometimes I would try and build up the confidence myself to talk to them about God and like, this is what I believe. Um, but never went well. It would always be, they'd have some point I didn't understand and I'd just kind of walk away a bit sad, deflated, and just decide, I'll talk to you about other stuff. I'm not going to talk to you about God. And so I had these this situation where I, I couldn't answer for the hope that I had. Peter's asked us to have an answer for the hope that you have, and I, I couldn't do it. And like consistently, I couldn't do it. And if I tried to give an answer, I'd find myself cringing inside because it just sounded so fake. It sounded that I was just like, I'd heard something at church, and I would just repeat it to someone else, like regurgitate it word for word. And it just wasn't my answer at all. It was someone else's answer that to them, sure, that sounded genuine. To me, this is like, it's not me. Um, and it was just unconvincing. And if I'm not even convincing myself, I'm not convincing anyone else. Um, and so I'd end up feeling stupid um, for kind of, I, I can't justify what I believe and just lost confidence in talking about my faith pretty much to anyone at school because of this. Um, but if you go back to the passage and look at it often, when, when we read this verse and talk about being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, da, 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 that um, we read it and think evangelism. Like, okay, I've got to have an answer. I've got to know how to tell everyone, everyone possible about Jesus. But actually, if you go to the passage and look at it, it doesn't really seem to be what Peter's, Peter's talking about here. He kind of, if you look at like the, the outcome of having an answer, he doesn't say that because you have an answer, loads of people will become new Christians. He actually says, if you have an answer and you can give it to these people, um, it's just going to prove you've got integrity and they're going to be ashamed for slagging you off. There's nothing in there about, oh, then, then they'll want to love Jesus. It's just like, it's almost that the outcome is more about you than it's about them. Like, you have proved to yourself that you've got confidence in your faith. And so, kind of the question from that is, do you have an answer ready for yourself? I'm, I, I'm kind of suggesting that Maybe in this, it's more important to have an answer, to be prepared and have an answer ready for yourself more than having an answer ready for someone else. And so, if you've got to be prepared, what is your hope? Like, if you had to say it to yourself now, or say it to the person next to you, what is your hope? Why do you believe that? Um, and the reason for kind of this being important is that when you then go into conflicted situations that I talked about at the start where you're kind of a pressure of like do I fit in or do I follow Jesus that where you fake the they're almost like split decisions in the moment someone asks you what you're going to do you don't have time to kind of go away and decide what your point of view is like this is the moment you answer the question um, and your instinct is like oh no Jesus like oh I really don't want to do this like I just can't do this I know I should do this but I'm going to get laughed at I'm going to be mocked people are going to think I'm weird, I'm going to stand out, I'm going to lose friends, I just don't want to do this. But the point of being prepared with these answers about your hope is that instantly you've got these concrete answers that kick in, like, no, okay, I don't want to do this, but this is who I am, this is what I believe, and so, um, Jesus, you have died for me, I believe in the resurrection, and so actually, this is worth so much to me, I'm just going to follow you anyway, and this is going to be hard, I might not fit in, I might get judged for doing this, but Jesus, you're worth more than this. And going back to the stories of when, when you felt closest to God is base your hope, base your answers 
on those moments because those moments were real for you. They were real moments when God was close to you. And so you have this hope. It's not just words on a page in a Bible, but it's in your heart. It's part of your story and who you are. And so, Alan, I'm going to end it about there. Um, And so I'm just going to end with, like, have an answer ready for yourself. What is the hope that you have and what is the reason for it? And like more important, what is more important to you? The hope that you can have in Jesus or your desire to fit in? Come on, great stuff. Thank you, Luke. And um, great message and uh, all about um, integrity, really, having that hope uh, and being able to describe it. I, too, am trying to set a timer because when I was up here following Chris Hannum, um, we ran over both of us quite long, but I can't get my phone to work because my fingers are a little bit sweaty. So there we go. You didn't need to know that, but I just throw that in as a little bit of extra. So I think most of you know me. I'm Alan. Um, I head up the intern uh, stuff here, as well as being a Baptist member, member of the team, and previous interviewer of Rashani. Um, So what I want to look at tonight, I think, um, feeds into that story around integrity and having a hope that we have. Um, But before I get there, what I would like to do is um, risk uh, being um, old and uh, not knowing my audience. Um, Jigsaw puzzles. Anybody in the room uh, do jigsaw puzzles? There are a few, okay. Does anybody in the room know what jigsaw puzzles are? Okay, these were inventions that before mobile phones where you could spend all of your day, get to the end of the day and go, what have I achieved today? Jigsaw puzzles, okay. Um, My wife is an avid jigsaw puzzle uh, doer of jigsaw puzzles, hunter of jigsaw puzzles in charity shops and other things like that. Jigsaw puzzles. Now, for those of you that know what jigsaw puzzles are and have done a jigsaw puzzle, thank you. Um, Keep it coming, brother. That's just an encouragement. Who starts with the edge first? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. Who starts with something other than the edge? There are a few. Okay, yep, yep. It's fine. You start wherever it works for you. Um, and the, the second question about jigsaw puzzles, who does a jigsaw puzzle either with the box lid or without the box lid? Okay, with the box lid? Yeah, most people. Okay, without the box lid? Oh, you are incredible, Hannah Finnamore. You don't start at the edge and you don't start with a picture. That's incredible. And I think that as we look at the passage, yeah, we're talking about jigsaw puzzles. I want to bring this to life. Okay, how do you do life? Because I think what I would like to just sort of uh, say tonight is that doing the edge first is kind of like the boundary, isn't it? And then everything else fits within the boundary. When you know what the edge is, then you can begin to get a little bit of a shape for what's going to go in. Yeah, And if you've got the box lid, fight over the box lid, especially if you're doing trees and trying to find patterns in trees. But if you've got the picture, if you know what you're trying to create, then you've got a chance of actually creating something that looks like what it's supposed to look like. 
So, edge pieces, boundaries, principles by which we live. And as uh, Peter has been writing this letter, he's been building a picture until, as uh, Luke has said, we get to this point where he begins to describe what a life with Jesus looks like. The boundaries and the principles. The box lid of the jigsaw puzzle is like the vision for your life. Tom spoke last week about who are you becoming. And the box lid of the jigsaw puzzle of our lives gives us a little bit of a picture about what it is that we are aiming for. And so as we come tonight, I want to ask the question, as we come to church and as we're doing our lives, do we know what the picture is of what we are trying to aim for with our lives? Do we have a vision for what it is or who it is that we are going to become as we seek to follow Jesus? Or do we even know where it is and what it is that we're aiming for? Do we know what it is that God is wanting to work into our lives? And if we do know what we're trying to do with our lives, do we ever stop to think about or ask the question where that vision came, for, came from? Whether that's about money, whether that's about our future, whether that's about career, whether that's about getting on the housing market, whether that's earning a good salary, whether it's a great job. Do we know where that vision for our lives has come from? I know that when I came to university, there was just this inbuilt pressure to do something proper. So I did an engineering degree. Not sure engineering was quite what I should have done with my life. Or maybe it is. Maybe you can tell me different. Came very much from the household that I grew up in. Where is the vision for your life come from? You see, as Christians, and as we come into this place, and as we've said yes to Jesus, and next week at the Pentecost gathering, 10 o'clock in the morning, if you can be here, there are two people that are going to get baptized in the tank. And this is the moment that they say yes to Jesus. Not only yes to Jesus, but they begin to adopt a vision for their lives that is shaped around him. See, there are 2.4 billion people worldwide that have made a decision to say yes to Jesus. 2.4 billion people that are seeking to be apprenticed to him and his vision for our lives. His teaching, his life, his example, his death, his resurrection, the miracles, the life that he brought, the lives that he touched. We're apprenticed to his vision of a life for us. And if we look at Jesus, we can see very simply that he gives us the outline, the frame of the jigsaw puzzle. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. 
love your neighbor as yourself. All of the prophets, all of the scriptures up until this point hang on those two commandments. It's the frame of the picture of the lives that he is wanting to build in us. It's the outline of the vision for your life and for my life. And then the rest of the scriptures, beginning to end, are putting the picture on the box of what that life looks like, what it means to love God, what it means to love our neighbors, the things that will trip us up and cause us to stumble, the things that will lead us off course and get our attention and distract us and lead us astray, to love God and to love your neighbor. So 1 Peter 3, verses 8 to 22, says this, Finally, and this is the picture on the lid in this particular passage, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. The picture on the lid as we are apprenticed to Jesus. The vision for our lives. Lives that will cause us to flourish and to become the best version of ourselves, the people that God has made us to be. The vision for our lives that not only will cause us to flourish, but will bring life and transformation to all of the people that we meet, to the workplaces, to the streets that we live in, that will enable not only us to flourish, but humanity to flourish, cities to change, poverty to be alleviated, transformation to happen. So just a couple of things from this. Be like-minded. That's not all thinking the same, but it's being single-minded with a common purpose. And as Tom has articulated over recent months, the vision, the purpose for which God has laid his hand on this church is for the city to be a blessing, to be generous, to be great neighbors, working amongst the poor and the marginalized, planting embassies of hope as we seek to become exiles and ambassadors living a different way for a different kingdom here in Sheffield. And imagine if every adult and child in the church were of one mind and one purpose through our weight, our energy, and our prayer behind that call. We might see a city begin to sit up, take notice, persecute us. Not like it, but begin to take notice. And begin to ask the question, why have you guys got hope? Why do you do what you do? It's the vision that Jesus has for our lives. Love one another. Be compassionate. Be humble not thinking too highly of ourselves, recognizing our weakness, asking for help. Being that, the kind of people that when we're slighted don't look to take revenge, to not repay evil with evil, but repay with a blessing. 
kind of people that will love our enemy, kind of people that will be brutally honest and tell the truth, keeping our tongue from evil and our lips from deceitful speech. We're the kind of people that turn from evil and do good. We seek peace and we keep on doing good, even if we're called to suffer for it. What's the vision for your life? Does it look like Jesus? Are we seeking to apprentice ourselves, learn from him? Pick up a vision for who we're supposed to be from him? Or are we chasing after something else? I'm going to call the band out. Come and join me on the stage. That would be great. We're going to worship in just a moment. And I would love you to consider what it is that Luke has shared about integrity, about standing out, about having an answer for those that would ask us. And consider today, where's the vision for your life come from? What shaped it? Do you have one? Do you know where you're going? And where does Jesus fit into that right now? And as uh, Sam plays and as he uh, leads us in song, what's the Lord saying to you this evening? Is there something that you need to do? Do you need to come back before him, repent and say, I've just been doing this on my own. I've lost sight of what it is that you're asking of me, Lord. And I just need to come and mark that right now. And come. You may have some characters in your life, hopefully not quite like the characters in Luke's life, but where you know that you need to take a stand and speak out. And it may be that you are sat here tonight and you don't know Jesus. And you're feeling a little bit lost. You don't know where you're going and what you're doing. Life's hard. And it may be that you just want to come forwards and you might want to speak with somebody and say, I hear about this Jesus. What's my next step? What would I do? How would I follow? And there'll be people that will come forward pray with you, chat with you invite the spirit to come and enable and empower you for whatever it is that he has got hold of your life for should we stand together